Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back. Um, so this afternoon's session is on LNG, a very popular topic at the moment. As ways of introduction, my name's Andy McCarran, and I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for Lloyd's Register. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Paolo Anuzzi today, who is the CEO of uh, Gazlog and Gazlog Partners Limited. Um, so, Paolo, I think, you know, there's, there's no question that LNG is certainly um, creating a lot of... Um, demand at the moment and questioning within the industry. I think what we're also seeing is, uh, as was discussed in the last session, the situation between Russia and Ukraine uh, and the closure of some of the key pipelines is certainly, um, for some of us in Europe, wondering how we're going to get energy and heating over the uh, winter period. Uh, what we're also seeing is that, obviously, these energy security challenges um, give us both risk but also opportunity as well. Um, and as we look at the gas sector facing into a very much growing global demand, we see the challenges associated with a complete imbalance between supply and demand. So as we see that, we, we will need to see a change in the entire maritime supply chain um, to support this transition. So certainly this afternoon what we'd like to do is just dig into um, what Gazlog is doing. So I think if we were to start by just sort of opening up with a reflection around the energy security aspects, and maybe from your perspective, what you see as the risks and opportunities and some of the operational th uh, considerations that, that you're going through. Okay. That's uh, an interesting array of questions, Andy. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I hope uh, lunch hasn't burdened you too much, and I hope I'll be able to keep up uh, with your interest. Um, I think, indeed, energy security is now uh, such an important headline to get away what used to be only energy transition. And, and, and it comes with all the, all the wrong reasons, as you mentioned. Um, how does that uh, reflect into the LNG shipping? Well, I think you've seen that, uh, you know, clearly the infrastructure development in Europe to suffice from the lack of gas from, from Russia has been a theme discussed since the very beginning of March this year. Um, that has created... Uh, not really an imbalance in the market, but has created an, an artificial demand that wasn't planned for and that, you know, has, has, uh, has ended up with these amazingly high prices for a commodity that nowadays is being produced at the rate of 102 or 103 or whatever way, just to say, above nameplate on, on energy capacity. So on one side, supply has, uh, has plateaued because simply there's not enough LNG that can be produced, and there's a lot of discussions of where the next LNG growth is going to come from. Demand has now increased in Europe to uh, an unprecedented level. We're talking about 10 million tons a year versus the 3 million tons that we had, sorry, a month versus the 3 million tons that we had before. Um, and plus we have the benefits of China that year on year, because of the COVID lockdown, is basically running between 16% and 18% now. Um, so I think it's, it's a dire period, the one we're going into from an energy security point of view in Europe. And, and for LNG shipping, that basically has meant that uh, there's not really a big discussion on where, uh, how much LNG is moving. And from a strictly numerical point of view, the ton mile you have in moving LNG from U.S. into Europe versus uh, Far East is, comes at, at a relatively small discount. But charters and traders, they don't want to miss an opportunity of, you know, making a killing out of a lot of their cargoes. Yep. Therefore, the name of uh, this year's theme 
on, on term business has been, I want to be long shipping. And that has created, you know, uh, with the market that you see today with basically no open vessels this year and already an interest in, in, in covenant quarter one, quarter two this year, which has literally never happened. You don't talk about shoulder months at the beginning of the winter the year before. Fantastic. And I think, you know, to your point, we're seeing spot rates at the moment, 200K plus, you know, I mean, which is unprecedented. So, I mean, an exceptional situation that we're in. But if you just come back to some of those key drivers that you see over the next five years, because to your point about the supply and demand imbalance, the shipyards are full. You can't take a ship delivery before 2027. Before we come on to the regulatory aspects of how some of the older tonnage may be taken out of the fleet if we're not careful, what do you see as some of those, I'm going to say, key drivers over the next five years for LNG, LNGC? If you, if you look at the supply-demand uh, scenario, and, you, know, you can look at BNAF data or, or, or uh, with, um, uh, other analyst data. You see 2023-2024, there's a relatively locked-in amount of supplies, you know, out of whatever the 60 to 70, amount, 70 LNG carriers that the world can build, I think it's between 25 and 35 vessels. So a very low amount of supply, mostly contracted. Then there's a big step change in 2025 and 2026, where all the yards have locked in, you know, all the contracts they could. Some of them have even sort of been able to speculate additional numbers, especially for 2026. So you have a large amount of vessels being delivered in 2026. And if you want a vessel today, you're talking about closely to $250 million and likely quarter one or quarter two delivery uh, 2027 in Korea. And in China is basically uh, 2028, unless you pick a green yard that has never done it. So if you have to segment it, I think we see a very tight market in the next uh, two years. Um, then you see a supply-driven market in 2025, 2026. And that becomes the big question mark. Yeah. Because the big question mark is there's something like between 80 and 120, 130 million tons of new FID capacity coming from uh, the U.S., uh, is that all going to be sanctioned? All is, are all the FID being uh, taken on time? And how much of this is going to come online in 2025, 2026, or 2027? That is going to determine the real new growth of LNG coming up. Now, I don't mention the Northfield expansion in Qatar because the yeah. Qatari have taken the approach of my, my volume is already tied in with dedicated uh, shipping. So typically is a net is a net addition and discount yep. to, to the model itself. Yeah, so that with Mozambique, et cetera, are the one-off sort of projects that sort of shouldn't be seen as yeah, the Yeah, Mozambique is, is the other big question mark. Ex yeah. Exactly, a big question mark <laughs> in terms of timing. Um, but, but with that then, so we're saying ships today, 250 million a pop, which we were paying 180 million less than 10, 12 months ago. Probably 195, yes. 195. Um, and that's basically because of the prices of steel, nickel, et cetera, in terms of the supply chain, plus just the capacity, you know, within some of the yards. Therefore, slots not available, and then we're seeing regulatory change coming in. So we're seeing EEXI, we're seeing so energy efficiency of existing ship index, we're seeing the CII come in, so the carbon intensity index, which could negatively impact some of the existing ships within the fleet. So I'm going to say the uh, dual fuel uh, diesel electrics and also the um, steam turbine fleets. H how do you see that 
going to pan out? And I'm going to say as, a, as an individual and a company perspective, what are you looking at doing to, to offset some of that challenge? Mm. Um, I think many of the other uh, speakers and, and Caddy as well in their address has uh, uh, stated that, you know, the race to net zero is something that we should embrace now. And I think uh, clearly uh, the technology development in LNG has, has had a, an incredible hyperbole in, in the past years. So in, in a matter of literally a bit more than five years, we've moved from steam vessels to TFTs and from TFTs to two-stroke. And then now we're seeing the second generation of two-stroke with, with a much reduced methane emissions. So it is true that the LNG industry, from a shipping point of view, has really these three kind of soles that are attached to different uh, three kind of uh, emission footprints. Um, so what, what's going to happen? Well, the one thing that is going to happen is that until now, the regulatory regime that has been in place has defined the sort of label that you're going to stick to every one of these assets. But the rules under which these, these assets will be able or not to operate have been left to the market. Yep. So it's a regulatory lab label, you know, depending on the market. And to give you an example, although these, these regulations are not in place yet, I mean, they're coming very soon, but, you know, typically the shipping industry is, is quite sort of proactive in this. So last year we saw about nine vessels being recycled. This year the market went extremely high, so until now you've seen only one vessel being yeah. recycled. Plus the latest uh, amendments to some of the allowances to allow uh, especially the steam vessels to operate, have significantly uh, improved the speed regime that these vessels can operate under. All of this to say that it's very difficult to predict the amount of discount or deduction to the supply and demand curve that you're going to have in the next, uh, call it five years, uh, in terms of vessels that will be recycled. And from a certain point of view, you have to probably believe that it's going to be really a market-driven incentive rather than a regulatory incentive. I still believe that at some point towards the end of 2030, you know, the regulations are going to bite more mm -hmm. than they are today. And you know, some of the charters will start filtering through this in, in a different manner. Now, um, what does it mean for, for ship owners? I think, one, you have to look at the strategy that you want to uh, have in terms of what's your fleet profile you want to keep. On the other hand, you can also be very tactical, and I think that being tactical really depends on the uh, financial situation that you have with these assets, because some of these assets will be uh, fully paid off, mm -hmm. so your break-even is going to be extremely low. To give you a reference, I mean, you know, uh, typically for a steam vessel that is fully paid, your break-even is below $20,000 per day, mm -hmm. and we've seen rates for, for, for steam vessels exceeding the $60,000 yep. per day in these terms. So that gives you an envelope of opportunity where, you know, even those kind of assets that, you, you know, the market might discount as standard assets must still remain around because it would be profitable for everyone. And do you see opportunity there for technology insertion? I mean, there, there was an um, announcement at GazTech, I think, a couple of weeks back now, which was basically around, you know, looking at how do we prolong the life of some of the steam turbine ships through... Um, basically electric drive type propulsion onto the gearbox so that it actually can sort of operate more, more efficiently? Or do you see that this will be a charter party, um, I'm going to say, driven aspect in terms of slower speeds that might go outside the charter party contracts? Um, uh, trying to answer your question, I, I really see two points. One, I do believe um, that 
operation of, of LNG carriers is a partnership, as many others have, have yep. highlighted here. Um, and, and, and the reason is, one, um, contracts in, in the LNG world are always a charter party. Yep. So there's no spot voyage, there's no COA, even a 10-day voyage is a charter party. So the uh, executions of charters orders, um, you know, has a fact on your CI, has a fact on your emissions, and yep. has a fact on your AER, and so on. And we've seen, for instance, for us, we have increased our AER emission from 2020 to 2021 simply because of the pattern of, call it, following orders yep. from, from our charter. So it's not our problem alone. It's not the charter problem alone. It's a partnership that has to happen uh, with improving our tools and you know, being able to predict more how the operation of the vessel is going to be. So it's not only the efficiency of the asset, but it's the efficient, the efficient use of the asset that is going to make a change. That's number one. The second thing is I do agree uh, that there are immediate technologies, or let's say technologies that have um, a relatively short time to market uh, as soon as they mature for LNG. I think fuel cells are by far the most important yeah. ones, and I believe carbon capture for, especially for LNG, given the fact that you, you know, the purity of the carbon that you emit can be a technology that, that we, at least we as gas law are betting on. We have to JIP uh, with, with yards in Korea uh, working on it. So, so I think building on that, because it's a key one, and I think we heard it again upstairs from, from Carrie, but LNG is not a transition fuel. It's a fuel in transition, you know, that's going towards bio-LNGs and synthetics, et cetera, that will sort of um, de- definitely answer, answer a lot of the questions that, you know, people have. But talking specifically around carbon capture, and I'm going to say the elephant in the room of LNG, which is methane, on a life cycle basis, and, and I'm going to say the environmental damage that can do. What are you looking around around methane abatement type solutions or methane abatement? technologies? Hmm. Um, I think Scott, before, you know, was very eloquent in, 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 in giving uh, LNG a few labels, um, and I think he, he, he caught the point very well. Um, I think we'll, we'll look at uh, a regulatory approach where at some point we'll define whether it is a tank-to-wake yeah. or a well-to-wake kind of approach. That's one thing. The second thing you know, methane emissions or fugitive emissions are a very important part. I mean, it has been recognized even at the COP26 last year. This was something that we need to make some headways on. And for the first time, we, we did live measurements with Chenier on board our vessels to unveil where the methane emissions came, uh, come from. And, and I think it's a great study. It's published and it's, it's, it's online for everyone to see. Um, so methane, the whole methane chain, you know, um, up and down has to, you know, look at the, its emissions in order to be more sort of appealing from a, from a decarbonization point of view. Um, I still believe that LNG, the biggest problem for LNG now is LNG pricing. I mean, it's, I think it is the fuel of today, and I think it is the fuel of the transition, because it clearly provides a 20 to 25 percent, depending how you see it, uh, benefit on, on emission basis on the same calorific value against other fuels. And, you know, it, it has an established uh, uh, supply line and, and technology that is widespread for everyone to see. Um, but the pricing is actually making it completely unattractive right now, so much that even our charters ask us to, fu- to burn fuel rather than uh, boil off in, in many of our, of our voyages. 
So I th- that's, a, that's a key point because of the price volatility as to where we are at the moment futures market indicating that that's going to stabilize to ensure that the investment goes or the necessary investment goes in around carbon capture through the life cycle anatomy of the fuel how do you see those changes panning out over the next five years Uh, i I wish five years was not eyes and large enough for us to define what kind of investments are there um i'm afraid five years are probably going to be a, a great time to incubate the, the dawn of the next technology. And from a shipbuilding point of view, you have to keep in mind this. We're now contracting in the largest and typically the most prone yards to, to do meaningful developments at good cost and good scale, so the Korean yards, and they are basically full until 2017. If you say that we need another couple of years to define better the scenario that we have, it is likely that these yards will be fully contracted almost until 2030. And we know that in order to make a dent into the the, uh, hyperbolic curve of development to to net zero, we need assets in the water by 2030. So I'm I'm afraid we're really running against the clock, and I'm I'm not sure that I'm giving you the right answer for these five years, but but I don't... simply don't have it. Yeah, and then I think more broadly, how, how do you see LNG as a st- sustainable fuel going forward? I'm going to say the transition pathways for LNG, how do you see those panning out? Again, um, what's happening today is the same amount of LNG is being produced from everyone, including from Russia, just going somewhere else. Um, clearly, the world is going to accept and, and use the additional LNG that's going to be produced. Um, Hopefully that will come to a discount to my more polluting fuels. But if LNG wants to, and and many analysts believe that with what's happened this year, LNG has won another five years into its critical uh, uh, development from maybe 2030 to 2035 or 2035 to 2040, depending on the way you look at it. I think that at some point you have to look at LNG has, you know, has to clean its act, as we discussed, more maybe on, uh, or as much on the shore side as it is on on the ship side. And then the pricing will have to to find a a different way. I don't think there's there's much more than this that LNG can do to make itself more appealing because the amount of investments that you need to make to either get your vessels ready or to transform your vessels is, you know, is always going to be on that significant investment there. Um, it, it all depends if you have an alternative, cheaper yep. option uh, than this. Then Which we don't have today. Well, yeah. eventually, eventually we will have. So I still believe the market will, will define where ship owners are going to invest and bet their money on. So, Paolo, with that, I'm going to say a huge thank you. I will also say a huge thank you to, to the audience today and also to Capital Link um, for, for hosting this. Um, in summary, I think, you know, where are we? We've got $200,000 a day um, day rates. We've got $250 million per ship. Uh, and we've got some gas prices that are exceptionally high. But the reality is that natural gas is here to stay. It will be the replacement for coal in the overall sort of uh, economy of the world. And therefore, you know, we need to look at how do we maintain the existing fleets through answering some of the questions around methane abatement solutions. And we also need to look at new construction ordering to ensure that we can meet the supply and demand challenges that are coming over the uh, next 10 years. But with that, thank you very much indeed again, Paolo. Thank you, Andy.